you're running now, huh? Okay, fine. We are now on the air. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to, well, Bone Ditch, I guess. I'm in quarantine like everybody else in the world at the moment, and uh, my girlfriend was offered the opportunity to film a story. She's an actress. She's in many things. But she was offered the opportunity to film a story that she liked, and it gave me an idea to record a story, except, of course, everything's quite grim at the moment, and most of my stories don't quite fit the bill. So I was looking through, and I found a story that um, is far better than anything I could write, but it seemed to remind me of sort of what we're going through at the moment. So I thought I'd read it out now, which is awesomely presumptuous. But then again, I'm living in an attic in the middle of a lockdown. So what are you going to do? The story is called The Minuet and it's by Guy de Maupassant. And here it goes. Great tragedies hardly affect me at all. It was Jean Bridel who was speaking. An elderly bachelor generally reckoned anything but a sentimentalist. I've seen active service and I've stepped over dead bodies unmoved. The crude violence of nature or man may bring cries of horror or indignation to our lips, but it does not wring the heart or send the shiver down the spine as does the sights of certain heart-rending though trivial incidents. A mother's most poignant grief is, I am sure, the loss of her child, as the loss of his mother is for a man. It is an overwhelming shock, a shattering knockout blow. But one recovers from a tragedy of this kind as one does from a gaping wound which bleeds freely. Certain encounters, however, certain things sensed or guessed, certain secret sorrows, certain tricks of fate, awaken in us a world of painful memories. Suddenly there opens before us a chink of that mysterious door leading to the intricate maze of the subconscious mind with its incurable misery. The more deep-seated because apparently not acute, the more agonising because apparently indefinable, the more enduring because apparently imaginary. There persists in the soul, as it were, a trail of sadness, an aftertaste of bitterness, a feeling of disillusion which it takes years to dispel. I can never forget two or three incidents which no one else I am sure would have noticed, but which have inflicted on my soul deep invisible wounds that will never heal. You probably would not understand the lasting effect on me of these brief emotional experiences. I will tell you one of them. It happened years ago, but I remember it as if it were yesterday. Possibly it is only my imagination that is responsible for the impression it has made upon me. I am 50. At that time, I was a young law student, rather serious-minded and a bit of a dreamer. Philosophically a confirmed pessimist, I avoided noisy restaurants and rowdy company. Women bored me. I used to get up early, and one of my greatest joys was a solitary walk about eight o'clock in Luxembourg Garden. You fellows never knew this garden, did you? It was like some survival from the 18th century, as charming as an old lady's gentle smile. Thick hedges separated straight, narrow walks, peaceful between two walls of carefully clipped foliage. The gardener's shears remorselessly cut back the branches of the dividing hedges, and here and there one came upon flower beds or shrubberies as orderly as schoolboys out for a walk, clumps of magnificent rose bushes or symmetrical rows of fruit trees. The whole of one corner of this fascinating garden was devoted to bees. Their thatched hives, cunningly spaced on planks, opened doors no bigger than a thimble to the sunlight. And all along the paths one met 
the buzzing golden insects, the real denizens of this haunt of peace, flitting up and down the narrow quiet walks. I used to go there nearly every morning and sit down and read. Sometimes I let my book fall open on my knee to dream and listen to the hum of Paris all around me and enjoy the perfect restfulness of these old world arbours. But I soon noticed that I was not the only person to frequent this spot as soon as the gates opened and sometimes, coming round the corner of a clump, I found myself face to face with a queer little old gentleman. He wore silver buckled shoes, full full knee breeches and a snuff coloured frock coat with a lace cravat and an astonishing grey beaver hat with a broad brim dating back to the flood. He was very, very thin and angular, and he simpered and smiled all the time. His lively eyes blinked and winked under the ceaseless twitching of his eyelids, and he always carried a magnificent stick with a gold knob, obviously a cherished relic of the past. At first I was merely surprised at this figure of fun. Then I became extraordinarily interested in him, and I used to watch him through the hedges and follow him at a distance, stopping at the corners of the shrubberies to avoid being seen. Suddenly one morning, thinking myself quite al- himself quite alone, he began making strange movements. First a few little jumps, then a bow, then he executed an entrechat, which still showed agility in spite of his spindly legs. Then he began a graceful pirouette, hopping and jigging up and down in the oddest way, smiling to an imaginary audience, bowing with his hand on his heart, contorting his poor old body like a marionette and waving pathetically ridiculous greetings to the empty air. He was dancing. I stood dumbfounded, wondering which of us was mad, he or I. But suddenly he stopped, came forward like an actor to the footlights, and backed with a winning smile, throwing kisses like a leading lady, with his trembling hands to two rows of clipped shrubs. After that he gravely resumed his walk. From that day forward I kept my eye on him, and every morning he went through his amazing performance again. I felt an overpowering desire to speak to him. At last, taking my courage in both hands, I raised my hat and addressed him. A lovely day, sir. He bowed. Indeed, yes, sir, the sort of weather we used to have long ago. A week later we were friends, and he had told me his story. He had been ballet master at the opera in the time of Louis XV. His beautiful walking stick was a present from the Comte de Clermont. When the conversation turned on dancing, there was no stopping him. One day found him in a confidential mood. I married La Castrie, sir. I will introduce you if you like, but she only comes here in the afternoon. You see, this garden is our delight. It is our life. All that remains to us of the past. We feel we could not live without it. There is nothing modern about it. It has distinction, has it not? Here I seem to breathe an air which has not changed since I was young. My wife and I spend all our afternoons here. But I come in the morning as well, for I am an early riser. Immediately after lunch, I returned to the Luxembourg, and soon I found my friend giving his arm with old-world politeness to a tiny little old lady in black, to whom I was introduced. It was La Castrie, the famous ballerina, toast of princes, favourite of the king, idol of all that courtly age, which seemed to have left behind a haunting perfume of gallantry in the world. We sat down on a bench. It was May. The scent of flowers was wafted along the trim walks. The cheerful sunshine streamed through the leaves, splashing us with pools of light. La Castrice's black dress seemed drenched with liquid gold. The garden was deserted. The rumble of traffic could be heard in the distance. Could you explain to me, I asked the old dancer, what the minuet was like? 
He started. The minuet, sir, is the queen of dances and the dance of queens, if you understand me. Now that kings are no more, the minuet has disappeared. Then, in stilted language, he began a long, extravagantly enthusiastic panegyric, which was quite incomprehensible. I wanted him to describe the steps with every figure and gesture, but he got hopelessly mixed, nervously exasperated at his own inability till he gave it all up. Suddenly, turning to his aged companion, who had remained gravely silent, he said, Elise, I wonder if you would... It would be so sweet of you. Would you be willing to show this gentleman what it was by dancing it with me? She looked all around anxiously, rose without a word, and took up her position facing him. Then I witnessed a sight I shall never forget. They advanced and retired with childish ceremoniousness, smiled, swayed, bowed, skipped like two old-fashioned dolls set in motion by an antiquated mechanism now slightly defective, constructed long ago by some master craftsman after the mode of his day. I looked on with conflicting emotions, an indefinable sadness in my heart. It was as if I were the spectator of a scene at once pathetic and ridiculous, the ghostly survival of a vanished age. I wanted to laugh and cry at the same time. Suddenly they stopped. They had come to the end of the figures of the dance. For a few seconds they stood facing one another. Then they fell sobbing into one another's arms. Three days after that I left the country, and I never saw them again. When I returned to Paris two years later, the garden had been done away with. What became of them without their beloved old world pleasance, with its maze, its perfume of the past, and the delightful nooks and corners of its arbours? Are they dead? Are they wandering about the modern streets in hopeless exile? Do they dance as gibbering ghosts, a fantastic minuet among the churchyard cypresses, along the paths between the rows of tombstones in the moonlight? Their memory haunts me like an obsession, and tortures me like a festering wound. I can't explain why, but I expect you'll consider the whole thing ridiculous. And there you go. Um... That was The Minuet by Guy de Maupassant, and I hope you enjoyed it, and thank you very much for listening. I found it in an anthology in a small second-hand bookstore in a small town where I'd seen a play just then, that afternoon, which my girlfriend had costumed. And um, it was a very special day, and all of this strangeness was still around the corner. But it was there anyway. Thank you very much. Take care. Keep watching the skies, and keep washing your hands. <laughs>